0: DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered.
1: The cab driver this morning was like, Are you rapper? Or something with the hip-hop And I was like, <laughs> with the hip-hop? The hip-hop, the hip-hop. <laughs> uh, and I was like, why do you ask? He's like, oh, I'm looking at your face and earmuff and rings You know, you are looking like somebody with the boop bop boop bop and, <laughs> <boop>, <laughs> and I was like, well, I mean, I've done my time yeah. I've done my time in the hip-hopity
0: Today, Amanda Seals on Tore Show I'm really impressed with how, like, you're doing, like, ten things.
1: Am I doing a lot of things?
0: Oh, my God. You're like, I have smart, funny black. No, literally, because I, I was I
1: was in the car this morning, and I was like, am I doing enough?
0: Well, let's see what comedian-slash-actress-slash-writer-slash-producer-slash-host Amanda Seals is doing. She's a stand-up comedian... She's an actress on Insecure and Blackish. She hosts a comedy game show called Smart, Funny, and Black. She's got a podcast called Small Doses. She does speeches. She's writing a book. She's constantly on Instagram posting stories that are like movies. And she's got the Get Your Life web series, and on and on and on. She's a creator who needs to create like she needs to breathe. She used to be in the New York music scene as Amanda Diva, and she hosted at MTV2 and did Deaf Poetry Jam and made music and sang with Floetry. Now she's Amanda Seals. That's her birth name. She said she got too old to have Diva as part of her name, and she's living in L.A., making it in comedy and in TV as an actress and a writer. And y'all, we've seen this movie. When you do all that comedy and acting and writing really well, you get to star in a TV show. Or a movie. See it coming, Dave. I met Amanda 20 years ago when we were both working at MTV2. You've
1: known me a long time.
0: Oh. No. We ran into each other in the hall one day and she told me that her mom liked me and we've been friends ever since. This is what her mom sounds like.
1: Dory, Dory, was that a show? Good. Ha <laughs> ha.
0: That was one of the first things that we bought <laughs> on. And you're like, my mom
1: likes you. I'm like, "Big oh, fan." I,
0: well, then I like your mom. Big
1: <laughs> fan. Big <laughs> fan. And she's like, you know, man, I'm really glad I get to be here to see it. Because I see a lot of people, they go on stage and they accept an award. And they'll be like, I just wish my mom was here to see it. So she's like, I'm really glad I'm getting to see, you know, the ascent.
0: Amanda is definitely on the rise. And it's fun to watch. And it's the result of of opportunity meeting preparation. Amanda studies the stage like she studied for her master's in black studies from Columbia University. She hasn't been in comedy long, but she's risen fast because she studies the game and she's smart and she's just funny. Always has been was snapping on me in the studio.
1: Tori is in here with a scarf on inside, and it is so Tori. Like, <laughs>
0: it's crazy outside. What are you talking about? <laughs> it is
1: so you to have this scarf on and these spectacles. It oh is just God. very, like... <laughs>
0: well, I need the glasses to be able to read my <laughs> but writing. But I just
1: feel like I'm in the presence of everyday, you know, literary greatness.
0: I mean, it was cold in the studio. What do you want from me? Wh- whatever. I love Amanda's endless creativity, her grit, her moxie, her brilliance. There's lots of gems in this one. And in time, even this will become clear.
1: What? What?
0: (laughs) But first, what I wanted her to demystify was the science behind being funny. What makes a joke funny?
1: I mean, I think some people would say because someone laughs. But I feel like it's 60-40 truth
0: I mean you knew I was gonna laugh before you told the joke. So it's not that I laughed It's that you knew I would laugh. so what what is it that you're doing that's making me laugh?
1: You're finding a new perspective on truth and that to me is what makes comedy and what makes something funny is you you know and 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 some people think that that's literally just related to like the words but no, that's all about the timing. you know that's all about the delivery that's about and the delivery is also about like, Not even just how it came out of your mouth, but like, where were you on the stage when you said it? You know, what was your face looking like when you said it? You know, all of those things kind of come together in a seamless fashion. And the joke is funny. I mean, I think for me, I did these five shows at Caroline's and I left a better comic than I arrived. Really? Yeah, absolutely. Because something about being in that home base stage and like looking in the audience and like seeing people like you who I've known forever, who have like never seen me do stand up. Right. No. But then like commixed mixed with like a bunch of people who are just there as like fans of me. It felt very safe. And in that safety, I was able to just kind of let loose. And that was like the missing link I feel to my stand up, that level of physicality adding it because the joke is Funny because of the truth. It's funny because of the timing. But the delivery gets elevated, elevates the joke so much more when you nail it.
0: Yeah. No, all that is super important. I remember watching Jesus Magic because I love Sarah Silverman. And at the very end, they have this mousy girl doing her jokes. Yes. Word for word. It's not funny. It's not funny. But then, you know, and there's certain people like even like a Bernie Mac who just says hi ha. and you yes. die laughing. Yes, uh, hum, 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 so, hum, hum. Hum. that's funny. So, so there's it's more than just it's not like you could give me a joke or I could do your t- and I could crush a Caroline's like it's all this uh, like you said yeah. the face, the timing and, the, and
1: believing. How do, you, how do you get the
0: okay? Tell me about believing, believing in the comedy believing or in yourself, in
1: the joke. You know, and believing in the comedy and believing in yourself is a huge part of it because as a comic, you know, I haven't been doing stand-up for an excessively long amount of time. I've only been doing it for four years, but I learned very quickly, and I think this is a big reason why I've been able to advance. I learned to stop trying to convince the audience that I was funny because that right there takes you out of just performing. You're now like the action is different behind what you're doing. You're not just trying to make people see where you're coming from. You're now trying to like prove to them like, no, like I'm worthy. And that puts you beneath them. You're on the stage above them, but it puts you beneath them and it changes the dynamic. You got to go up there and know this is funny. And that confidence that you're rooted in confidence to me is so much about simply just having a fearlessness and knowing facts. You're confident because you know this, that, and the third, right? So when you, as a comedian, get up there, you're already winning. If you know I'm funny. The difference is some people don't really know they're funny and it becomes arrogance and that's not.
0: That's not the same. That's not the same.
1: But once I really was like, stop trying to like write jokes that they will think are funny. Just go up there and do what you do because I'm funny. Yeah. Like just in life, I'm funny.
0: Yeah, that's true. You know,
1: and it was like, just go up there and, and be what you are in life. On
0: stage. But we know there's lots of funny people on the block who couldn't do... I mean, you did an hour at Caroline's. There were no dips. You just crushing hey! the whole hour. You thank you.
1: You're, you but are, that's because I'm also a... i am also I mean, I'm a trained theatrical performer, though. Mm-hmm. And I'm also a type A personality, like a motherfucker. <laughs> <so. laughs>
0: How do you... Like, I, I want to talk about just pieces of all this. Because, mm-hmm. like, the timing is so important. Right. And well, how you do you know
1: I come from hip hop? Yes. I mean, my driver, the cab driver this morning was like, Are you a rapper or something with the hip hop? And I was like, <laughs> the With hip-hop. the hip hop?
0: The hip hop. <laughs>
1: the hip hop. Uh, I was like, Why do you ask? He's like, oh, I'm looking at your face and earmuff and rings. You know, you are looking like somebody with the boop-bop-boop-bop.
0: <laughs>
1: and I was like, Well, I mean, I've done my time. I've done my time in the hip hopity.
0: Yeah.
1: And, uh,
0: but joke timing is different.
1: But what my point is that it's all rhythmic. Yes. It's all rhythmic, right? So, like, I kind of went through the same process with rap that I did with jokes. When I was rhyming, I first at first I couldn't rhyme because I couldn't rhyme on beat. And it used to drive me crazy. Like, I'd have the lyrics, but I couldn't rhyme on beat. And it was like, I'm trying to rap. I'm trying to rap. I'm trying to rap. And it never felt, like, right. And then... Eventually, like when I wasn't even thinking, I like went to I went back to the New Rican after like a year long terrible depression, I was like, "You're gonna have to figure out your purpose." Like I'd become a VJ at 23, so I was at like MTV two MTV two. So that was like lifelong dream check. I got my master's, you know, in African American Studies at Columbia. So I was like, okay, other plan check. And then it was like, well, like what? I didn't have anything else after that. So, I went through this whole depression, and I was like, let's go back to the beginning and and start again. So I went back to the New Rican, that's where I started. And uh, I went back to the New Rican and I remember I did the same poem there that I had done, you know, two years ago, but they had a band that night. And as I was doing the poem, I realized I was in pocket. And it was like, oh, my God, I could rap now. This is crazy. But (laughs) the difference was that I was so just confident in I don't know anything else, but I know this. And so that's why it flowed. And with comedy, the same thing has happened where it's like the timing comes from knowing the joke. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's that. But also knowing your voice. And I've come to know what about my voice makes it funny. Like, what about the timing of my voice makes things funny? And Mm. that's just exploration. You know, like, I know that when I do this and I make a face... (laughs) It's <laughs> Look at
0: that. <laughs> Point,
1: Pearl. Yes, It's It was like, if I tickle you here, you will laugh. It's human. <laughs> like, and, like,
0: I I did. And I knew you were trying to make me laugh. And still, like, that's funny.
1: So you learn those little things. Like, oh, okay. This added up. You know, Chris Rock knows that when he does this, and he delivers the line. <laughs> you go laugh, like we're trained. You know, we know his style, and we know the other side of that. You know what I'm saying? By the way,
0: does Chappelle do that? It I don't want to like talk he's... about Chappelle because
1: I'm in a place with Chappelle right now. <laughs> uh,
0: I, I'm uh, uh, okay uh, his,
1: with his comedy, not with him personally.
0: Uh, yeah, I'm just with his comedy. Uh, I just what do you well uh, with his com- What do you mean? Isn't is he not the number one stand up right now?
1: Well, I think, it, you know, we base that on different things. For me, uh, John Mulaney and Chris Rock are my number one stand-ups. Okay. Because of their ability to continue to advance their style and their joke telling um, without forsaking it. You know, like sometimes it feels like folks are like, it's a new me, new year, new me. And it's like, but that other stuff was working though. Like, that whole thing you had going there was working. And I feel like the Dave that we're seeing now is a very different, it's a very different Dave on stage than the Dave that I came to really, like, you love. You
0: mean, like, the Dave of, like, the DC stand-up set is different than, Even you know... Even Radio,
1: Radio City Music Hall Dave from three is, years ago.
0: Is different than this Dave?
1: This These performances are different to me. These
0: Netflix, the last four Netflix shows.
1: Yeah, they're just a different style. And people love it, so who the fuck am I? But it's just not my speed. I like when Dave tells jokes, not just opinions.
0: As opposed to s- stories?
1: Yeah, I mean, so like he is such a gifted writer. Yeah. And and he what he does, which is something that I really studied is he starts from A, then he takes you to point B, to C, He'll take you all the way to Z and you're like, oh, okay. And then he'll be like, now we're going to do hieroglyphics. You know, like he just adds a le- he adds a, a trajectory that you didn't even think to go to. Yeah. And so like with jokes, like I have a joke um, where I talk about that I went to the gynecologist and he told me that I have a very deep vagina. <laughs> and, and I was like... Like, is that a compliment or like he said it to me like it was an asset. So I, you know, I took that in because we need to take in as many assets as we can. Now, most folks, that joke would either sit right there and it would go in a sex direction. Right. Typically, that would go in a sex direction um, or maybe more of a direction about the doctor. But what Dave would do is find some fantastical kind of way to go with it. And that's where I, and when I was coming up with that story and that joke, as it really happened, it was like, where, what would Dave do? And so I ended up going a whole other direction that I would never go in. I was like, you know, when he told me this, I realized that there was, you got to use your assets. So like, how do I utilize this asset? And, um, you know, I've come up with some ways. Would you like to hear them? Yes. Uh, in the event of a zombie apocalypse, I would be <laughs> incredibly useful because I would store the food rations. <laughs> I've got a perfect oven for Hot Pockets. Moist.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and
1: um, You're stupid. were I a part of the Underground Railroad? I would have been a huge asset to the great Harriet Tubman because I would hide the slaves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I knew you were going to say I'm hiding in my <laughs> shit, and
0: I still laughed. Oh God, it seems like a magic trick to the rest of us that you can get up there. Hey, how you doing? Hey, where are you from? ah, oh, she's so funny, and then we're just dying, 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 and then she leaves and let right. I mean.
1: I mean, I do think though, it, I do consider it to be a, a genius gift in the same way that like some people can just look at numbers mm. and just, blah, 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 yeah. which is something that I, I can't do at all. Right. You know, it's the same way that like you look at certain uh, visual artists and you're just like, how could you sure. do that and put that together? And with comics, like that's what we're doing. We are, it's almost like we're looking at the matrix of the world. Mm-hmm. And putting that together in, equa- in an equation that people can understand mm-hmm. and think is funny. You know, for us, we are looking at the world the same way that Neo looks at the Matrix. Mm-hmm. It's just, this is all just numbers. The
0: the, the <laughs> comic's eye is different.
1: Yes. So take, and that's why we're so dark and weird.
0: Well, yeah, take me inside. Like, what are you, how is the comic seeing the world different than the rest of us?
1: Well, we're always analyzing it um, and figuring out how to, like, flip it over. In a way that's relatable to us and relatable to you. And it's, it's kind of tire, It's tiring to always be alert. You know, like that's why they say ignorance is bliss. For a comic, like you're always alert. You're always, that's why people always talk about like being on. You know, if you're a comic, you're essentially, you're, you're pretty much always on to a certain extent. Because what matters most to you is what's funny. So you don't want to let that pass you by. So like, I mean, every conversation I have with friends, I mean, at this point, they're all trained to even be like, oh, that's a bit <laughs> like that's a bit write that down. And no one even gets offended anymore when it's like, huh.
0: So you're doing that for yourself.
1: And my friends will do that for blah, me. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, that's We'll be a bit. talking. My friends and I will be talking. Me and my publicist will be talking. Me and my agents will be talking. And they'll be like, oh, that's a bit. And then everyone knows that we need to pause because I need to write it down. In my Google Docs.
0: How do you write a joke?
1: You'll typically just write the premise. Like, let's see. What do I have in here right now? Every comic does this. We go in our joke book and then we read it to you and then people are like, that's not going to be funny.
0: (laughs) 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 And then it is.
1: And then it is. Okay, so like right now. So sometimes it'll be just like a line, like... (laughs) white women's having sex and scream black lives do matter. (laughs) Like that's just one line. (laughs) Just one line in here. And then I have, um, he's not just fascist, he's facist. He hates that no matter how much money he has, he can't pay for melanin. That's about (laughs) Donald
0: Trump.
1: Um, And then I, oh, this is a line that I keep forgetting from a bit. Wow, I need to remind them, I need to put this back in a bit. I forgot about this line. Basically, I do a bit about how, like, the Negro National Anthem, a lot of white people don't even know it exists. And right. it's like, no, like, there is a Negro National Anthem. Right. And spoiler alert, it is not a song from Hamilton.
0: Right, right.
1: And that line always gets a kick because they're all like, oh, we know what that is. We know what Hamilton is. Right. Um, but then I have, like, <laughs> I have it here, like, my white neighbor tried to sell me his djembe drum for $250. And I said no, because in my heart, it felt crazy to be buying an African drum from a white man, (laughs) especially (laughs) for that much. Like, unless you can prove your ancestors had a house on the Underground Railroad, this should be for free. (laughs) You're really just returning what's rightfully mine. And right as I leave my crib, a Senegalese immigrant would be like, hand it over, (laughs) light (laughs) skin. Hand it over, light skin. Come on, send it right this way.
0: (laughs) it can't be yours more than mine. <laughs> I was looking all over the house for that. <laughs> no, all over the hut for all that. Over.
1: <laughs> no, so you know, I think um but those are, you know, that's like that's a story. So here's the interesting thing. When I read you those three, two out of those three, well, three of uh three out of the four are like actual life experiences. And one of them was just like a thought that I came up with. Yeah, And the thought that I came up with is the one that you didn't laugh at. And that's the thing. Whenever I try to like write, like I'm going to sit down, I'm going to write these jokes. It never it never feels organic in my voice. I write so many of my jokes on stage. The show you came to, Yeah. when I said, white girls, y'all got to stop ceasing unnecessary people on emails. Remember we had, it was like, a, an uproar. That people, was the
0: biggest single joke. People were dying. You had to stop. I
1: said that off the top of my head.
0: You that, came in that. You came to that in the moment.
1: Yeah, in the moment. I was like, you need to come up with some examples of this, <laughs> and I put that out there, and people were like flipping tables.
0: They were. They were. It was, and it wasn't even. I don't work in that sort of setting, so it didn't really land for me. I'm like. That's cute, but are people doing that? I don't know. And I'm looking around like people are like on the floor. Yes. Like multiple, are... like screaming, jumping, <laughs> like losing their full,
1: mind. And full conversations. Like, get, did not tell I you. I told you. I told you, you. I told you. You know? And it was like that every
0: night. That you come up with something off top of your no, head.
1: No, I'm saying that joke every oh, okay. single night was like that. But every night I do come up. I would say my, my hour is 70% like structured bits and 30% improv. Really? Well, yeah, because like there's jokes that I did every night, but then there's jokes that I did uh, only once because like I only told that strip club story once. The one that I told it the night that you were there, because what I've learned is that I'm not good at coming out on stage and just getting into a joke. John Mulaney is so gifted at this. I I mean, I'm like envious. He just comes on stage and it's just like off and running. And you're just like, damn it, we're already in the joke. How did we get here?
0: As opposed to talking to the audience for a moment?
1: Yeah. And for me, I need to talk to the audience for a moment because it kind of like grounds me. And, I, you know, this may change. But as of right now, it grounds me and it kind of points me in a direction. Like it gives me because I don't come out with the same set every night. I have the bits in my head. And they're going to land and they're going to come about however they, so feel, however they feel fit. But the audience points me in the direction that they want to go.
0: So it's not the same show every night.
1: You could have come five nights and you would have seen a different show every single night.
0: Different order, different jokes?
1: Different, Both. Both. You're going to see 70% of the same jokes, but they're going to be presented in a different order. And also, you know, I'd I be tired. So sometimes, like, you know, jokes are delivered differently just based on, like, your physicality. You know, what you got for them.
0: <laughs> because you are very physical. There's yes. There's a, a lot my of... My body... Mo- I mean, just... And a lot of... And correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of female comics are not that physical. And you do a lot mm. of movement on the stage. Uh, sure,
1: I haven't really thought of that. Yeah, and- I mean, I realize, like... Comedy has become a place for me to culminate all of the things that I'm good at and that I love and that I've been doing for a long time. So dance, gymnastics, theater, hip hop, spoken word, music, singing, all of these things. But you also know.
0: the PhD stuff. I was going to say
1: like academia. Yeah. You know, like when people ask me, I was interviewed recently and someone asked me like, well, do you use your master's in your stand-up?" I'm like, fuck, yeah, of course. Well,
0: you call it a TED talk with jokes. Yes. And there is a very real and serious thread running through yeah. it especially now talking a lot about being a woman Mm -hmm. in the world and the threat that is posed to women on a day-to-day casual basis. And it's really, really, I mean, especially for a lot of men at this moment in 2018, a little sick of hearing about it. And you do it in a very delicate way where I'm getting the message, but also with the honey that I'm laughing.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I think that, my intention is not necessarily to like be soft so that you guys can receive it. Cause fuck y'all. But,
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You're not trying to educate. Right,
1: because I think that there is a certain thing where it's like guys are like, I'm tired of this. And it's like, it's literally been going on for like two months. Two months. I know, I know. It's been two strong months. And you're like, I can't (laughs) take it. I love this. And women are like, really? Because this has been going on like literally since the beginning of time for us. Like, remember the witch hunts? No? No. Yeah, it was a thing. (laughs) Um, And so like I did a joke in in the third show. I talk about how there is a tax on feminine products, but there is no tax on impotency drugs. Mm. And it's called a luxury tax. Mm. And it's like, I'm sorry, but there is no luxury <laughs> to these crowns. <laughs> we are not using uh, 100% Egyptian cotton right. pads. Right. There are no cashmere tampons. Right. Um, really, the luxury is really you all, men... Not having to see us walk around like a direwolf bit us in the pussy—that's <laughs> the luxury. But we paid the tax. Explain it. <laughs> like, explain it. There would be a whole other like wing of employment created just to wipe up bloody seats. <laughs> but but it's a luxury. Are you serious? So you know it's like that's one of those jokes where I get a point across. You know, but as you're laughing, you're like, that is crazy, though. You know, like that is crazy. And it's like, but yet you guys get to have a hard on tax free.
0: (laughs) We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door. Thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. so we'll get back to Torrey's show in a second, but did you see the premiere of Atlanta? Yo, did you see Monique on the Breakfast Club fighting the good fight? Yo, did you see Charles Barkley on Saturday Night Live? If black culture is your thing and you love talking about it and chopping it up, you got to check out Culture Kings, a podcast on the How Stuff Works Network. Hosted by three comedians, Jaquise Neal, Edgar Monplazier, and Carl Tart. They're from the L.A. improv comedy scene. You've seen them on Comedy Bang Bang and Drunk History. They talk about sports, music, movie style, whatever's going on in the culture, how to recast the kings of comedy, the worst haircut ever, top five NBA players, best video game of all time. They chop it up in a funny way. It's like going to the barbershop and having three really funny, smart guys break down whatever's going on in black culture. New episodes of Culture Kings come out every Wednesday, just like Torre's show. So if you like hearing three hilarious brothers do what they do best, this is the show for you. Listen and subscribe to Culture Kings on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Talk about just... Walking that line between saying the smart stuff, that real stuff that you really want to say as an intellectual, as a woman, as a black person, and yet it's got to be funny.
1: Well, I think it's the same thing as walking that line of like wanting people who want to say like shocking things, you Mm -hmm. know, and people who want to say offensive things. I think like Joan Rivers was really good at saying like really offensive shit, but she was funny. Yeah. One of her, one of my favorite jokes, she said, you know, Michelle Obama. She was just so stylish. She's so stylish. I mean, she's almost like a Jackie Onassis. You know, we should really just be calling her Blackie O. Uh-huh. And
0: uh-huh. I <laughs> thought it was hilarious. <laughs> uh-huh. 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 <laughs> because uh-huh. it's accurate.
1: And I feel like if the joke is more funny than it is offensive, then it works. And with the intel- with intelligence and, like, bringing across these... Um, these points of interest that seem like kind of arduous to handle, you know, I think that it's the same thing. It's like, if the joke is funny, it takes the harshness out of it. It takes the attack mm-hmm. out of it. You know, like for the most part, like I talk about white girls in my set all the time, but I think that for the most part, the white girls in the crowd are like, she's not saying this to attack
0: us. Like, she's
1: saying this from a place of, like, I know y'all.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I mean, your tone is never the deaf comedy jam, black people are here, white people are here. You're, I mean, you, like... I was in Orlando with Becky and girls. Lindsay. Those yes. are my girls. I could dance better than them, but I'm with them. so there's like, no
1: after the show, they're literally coming up to me.
0: Yeah. Like So you're not like looking down on no. white people in your But
1: I'm what I'm looking down on, and I say this in the set and I, I I don't think I said this the night that you were there, but what I do say is I'm looking down on anyone who considers their whiteness to be part of their Supremacy. Mm. So there's only I would say there's only two kinds of white people. There's people who are white and people who happen to be white. Mm. You know. And so whenever I say that line, the people in the audience get to decide. Like, well, if I'm who are you with, yeah. And if I'm with the other side, then I would be offended. And if I'm offended, then I am the problem. Right. You know, because right. the whiteness that I'm talking about is whiteness that is assigned to you. You know, because of what has been assigned globally in terms of the concept of white supremacy and when you are letting it get out of hand. And sometimes as white women, you don't even realize it. (laughs) You don't even know because it's just happening around you.
0: Somebody told me that, you know, you can't become a great comic until you're like, I don't care if I die up there. It's true. Did you have that moment of like, like when you got past like I don't, you know, I don't, I'm gonna do my jokes. I don't care if I die.
1: Yeah, I mean that's what I mean by like convincing them you're funny and yeah. just knowing you're funny. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's just like, oh, like y'all just didn't come to laugh at what I'm like what I'm talking about today. Got it. I mean it's basically that that maturity level you reach where you're like, I'm just not for everybody. You know, like everybody not gonna like me. Uh, that's fine. You know, you just stop being a people pleaser. And it doesn't mean that you are not still like feeling the crowd and wanting to connect with them. But you also know that sometimes it just ain't going to happen. When I opened for Chris, he told me I was unflappable. And I was like, "Ooh, I'm not sure what that means in this context. And he said, because if a joke doesn't land, you don't let it shake you. You just keep going because you believe in what you're saying. And I was like, well, yeah. And it's true. I don't, um, I don't think you can really become a great comic when you're going up there, fingers crossed, Mm. I hope this works. You know, I think it's about going up there. You try shit out, man. And sometimes, listen, sometimes you're like, I know this gonna be, this gonna kill. Watch, watch. And then it just doesn't. And then you have to think about, well, why didn't that work? Was it where I placed it in the set? Was it how I delivered it? Did I need to set it up better? You know, did it need more tags? You know, I have jokes right now that are like, they're just premises, and you go up there and you'll like throw a premise out and you'll just see, does it get a chuckle? Does that premise get a chuckle? Because it may not get a laugh yet, but did it get like a, because <laughs> that means people thought about it. So now you know, okay, I can work with that. Sometimes you say some shit though and the audience is just like, why are you saying that? <laughs> That's not necessary.
0: I mean, you part of this is about controlling the crowd, right? And you are listening to them and- where they are and everything and how to what I'm going to hit them with next. And I mean, just even within the joke of like, you know, they laughed it like you a lot of times comics seem to have like a joke and then there's a laugh point like on the two and the four. Mm-hmm. Right. And so if they laugh on the two, you got to let them get that laugh out. Yeah. And then you go. But even going.
1: that takes a time that takes time because you got to learn to let them laugh. Yeah. Cause sometimes it'll be like, I have a joke, I have written it this way, and I'm gonna get it out, and this is the way it works. And it's like you gotta learn to be really patient. Marina Franklin is one of my favorite comics because of her ability to just let there be space. She'll just say a line and it's almost like she like sits back in her chair, like, Okay, y'all can laugh. I'll wait. You know, and then you come back to it. And there's times where you tell a joke that you know, takes two times in someone's brain to turn over. Right. So you have to have the confidence to not rush and let the audience turn it over twice. And what happens inevitably is they're like, "Uh, uh, 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 and then, and then, so like a perfect example of that is the, the emails joke because it didn't really hit you, but then when it hit other people, you rolled it over again in your head. And now what you were laughing at is like, oh, they really are going through this, you know? And so now it becomes like a whole different experience for you than it was. And I think that's, that's the timing thing too, is not just your timing, but the audience's timing.
0: What is the difference? You started on this, but what is the difference between a good comedian and a great comedian?
1: I mean, I think it's similar to the difference between like a good artist and a great, like a good painter and a great painter. Like a good comedian can make people laugh, but a great comedian can make people laugh in their own uncopyable is not the word I'm looking for, but style. You know, like there is no other Chris Rock. There just isn't. There is no other Dave Chappelle, there is no other Robin Harris, there is no other, um, there is no other Richard Pryor. I mean, they have devised a method in looking at the world that is so unique to them that it cannot be copied, only imitated.
0: What did you learn about about comedy? in being so close to Chris Rock on his tour, you opened on his tour.
1: I mean, I only opened once. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that it's really just, <laughs> his audience is there for him. Like they're there for him. Like they're there. But what you learn is that it doesn't matter if they're there for you. Like you still have to give it all of the 1000%. And I saw Chris in a couple of different cities in every city you know he's not showing up like, oh y'all know who I am, y'all know I'm Chris Rock. You know he comes up to that stage with the same vigor every night, um, as if he's in, you know, Comic Strip Live up here on the on the East Side in New York. And I think that sometimes there's folks that that they think that it's like a goal to get to where I don't really have to like try too hard because people already know. And I, you know, it's like no that's when it gets super fun because it's organic. They're, give, they're feeding you so much. And honestly, like, these shows at Caroline's was the first time I truly, truly, like, felt that. The audience fed me so much.
0: You are doing so many things beyond just comedy. And I'm just curious. Like, one thing for me, somebody told me a long time ago, like, you're doing lots of things, and that's great, but, like, your stuff's all over the place, right? No, it's
1: all over the place to you.
0: Well, no, I think it's fair that my stuff, like this person was saying, like, put his politics aside. Look at Glenn Beck, right? Look at Martha Stewart. Like, all their stuff lines up. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my stuff is all over the place. It does not make a, create a thesis. It does not line up. Um, And I think your stuff does more line up. Um, But
1: it took time. I used to get the same note as you, though. Yeah. It's like you do so many things that you do nothing. Yeah. I'm like, wow, that's trash. Um, Comedy is what brought it together for me. Because it was like, oh, you're like a host, but then you're like a writer, but then you're like a performer, but then you're like an actress, but then you're funny. Like, I don't know. It's just like, I don't know what it all means. And once I started doing stand-up and was able to officially, you know, own the title of comedian, then it became... Oh, you're a comedian. So you host, right? And you're an actor, right? And you write, right? And you're funny, right? Like all of those things, instead of them being scattered, they were now considered requisites to the role. Yeah. So it created this overhead where anything that I was doing could live under in a comfortable space as long as the through line was intellectual comedy. Yeah. Because, like, small doses, my podcast, for all intents and purposes, is a self-help podcast. But because it is delivered in my intellectual comedic style, it is, in essence, in synergy with everything else I'm doing.
0: I mean, what is the balance for you, stuff that I created, stuff that I envisioned for myself, and stuff that is coming at you, right? Like, mm-hmm. like Insecure comes yeah. externally, to you, black right? blackish right. comes externally to you versus uh, small doses is your idea. Smart funding black is your idea. Mm-hmm. So how do you balance that of like, Amanda, we want you to do this and this and this. And like, well, that doesn't necessarily fit with my project, but that's a great idea for me.
1: Well, that's what we are. And when I say we, I mean like, you know, my team and the people who do, uh, you know, acquire those ideas. That's something that we're learning to balance, you know, because I am in a new time in my career where there absolutely is more demand and people are seeing my voice in a way that they understand that I never experienced before this, you know, it's, it's not so much of me trying to like get people to see where I'm coming from. I feel like a lot of times these days I show up in the room and they already get it. They're just trying to figure out how can we do something with it. Yeah, And so that is, that is the balance. Um, and we are still developing that. So I really don't even have an answer for you yet other than to say that I think it is important that I have a balance of things coming in and not just things coming out because it really is nice to like insecure. Like I just show up. Yeah. I show up, I say my lines and I support the cast and I support the show. And so my responsibility level is not like so high in terms of output. And that balances with something like smart, funny and black where like it's, you know, a lot on my shoulders. I now recently have people helping, but for the most part, for a year, it was just the Amanda project, you know, and it required everything. And it is my baby. So even if I have people helping, I will always take anything, you know, that we do very, very seriously. And nothing is kind of like, oh, whatever. Whereas at Insecure, like I, I'm blackish, you know, like I went there, what are my lines? Where's the food? Great.
0: I mean, you're on two <clears throat> legendary, current legendary shows.
1: This was like a dream. This was really a dream of mine. Like, I am such a pop culture fanatic. Like, so yeah. I would watch Living Color and Living Color and Living Single and uh, Cosby Show and Different World, and I would just always be like, I'd always marvel, at like, what's it like to like know that you were a part of something iconic yeah. you know and that was on my brother and me on nickelodeon which people will tell me like oh it's iconic and i'm like it has a certain like cult following but not in the same way yeah. of um these shows and so to be on insecure and now to have gotten to do an episode of blackish i do feel like i in this era am a i'm an unforgettable part of the canon
0: you are and you that's are.
1: like a super duper
0: so, I mean, I mean, when you go to work on something mm-hmm. like Insecure, mm-hmm. which, you know, like the whole community is watching and discussing and like yeah. chopping up. Is there an extra pressure? Is there an extra like or is there an extra like, you know, let's make sure we put some stank on it because this is, you know, this is valuable. This is important.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think especially because all of us come from the generation of watching those great classic black comedies, you know, so we are essentially like living through our own black comedies, but they are all driven by what we grew up watching. And so there is absolutely a a consciousness of like, we need to do justice to that. You know, when people compare Tiffany Dubois to Whitley Gilbert, every time it's just like, is this life? Compliment is this you. life, and the fact that when I met Jasmine Guy, she was just super dope and just kind and nice, and uh, and like, like, Creed Summer be like at my house. I'm like, what? What? <laughs> <laughs>
0: like,
1: I, I still don't recover from that.
0: I want to hear about the energy you spend at a more macro level on creating the Hollywood, and I mean that in the broadest sense, mm-hmm. the Hollywood Amanda career because i know you from new york amanda being in music being on tv as a vj etc and you moved to la Mm -hmm. and you have created this i'm in tv i do stand up you know soon enough you'll be in a movie you know multiple movies you'll be starring in the movies it'll be so how did you
1: i envisioned it i in around 2011 I took the diva off my name and went back to Amanda Seals and I really started to imagine what is the life that you really want? Like hip hop was no longer speaking to me as an overarching place that I could exist in. Mm. Um, And I knew that I wanted to have a voice of value. I knew that I wanted to create change. I knew that I wanted to empower people. And I was like, but what's the most realistic way that you can do that and still keep your stamina? Right. Because that's the thing. It's like people will have like the greatest of intentions, but they're not really fully married to all the elements of it. And so then they eventually fall off because they're like, I like this, but I can't deal with this, that and the third. Right. So for me, I was like, well, what what is it? When I looked at the careers that mimicked where I could see myself being effective, you know, I looked at Ellen DeGeneres. uh, I looked at Chris Rock. I looked at Chelsea Handler and they all had these multimedia platinum, these these multi. Media platforms that were a moguldom based on their point of view.
0: Which is what I was talking about with the Glenn Beck, Martha Stewart thing that you're building toward.
1: But I realized when I looked at them that I had everything except for one thing. Because they all hosted. Right. I can host. They all wrote. I can write. They all acted. I can act. They all do stand-up. And I wasn't doing stand-up at the time. And I knew that if I wanted to be considered as a valuable comedic voice that was going to have to be in the mix. And the opportunity came and I started doing stand up, and it was just kind of like one of those, like being called to the pulpit kind of things. And it was just kind of this missing piece of Voltron that really just has made all of these, this macro vision of like the Amanda Seals plan start to function because it was literally like just the fuel line hadn't been plugged in and comedy was the fuel line. And Once that has happened, the purposefulness starts to turn over. The Caitlyn Jenner situation. Mm. You know, like that wasn't anything that someone like masterminded, like we're going to put you. And that happens in Hollywood where people are like, we're going to set this situation up and then we're going to put you in here and then blah, 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 blah. And it's not happening like that. It's more so that I am the best example I know of opportunity meeting preparation. Mm. I came to L.A. prepared, honey. So any opportunity that comes my way, I am not scrambling. I'm not scrambling. I'm there. You know, I'm ready. And I always say New York creates artists. L.A. makes stars. So by the time I got to L.A., I was so clear on my artistry and who I was as a person that I didn't have to do that extra work assigned with, you know, dealing with things coming at you. Because people who are not there, these opportunities come at them and then they have to filter through like, can I do this? is this right for me? You know, is this right for my, my brand? For me, it's, it's so clear that it doesn't take all that. It's like, yes, no, that's it. Moving on. What are we doing? Mm. You know? And I think my team really appreciates that. And I've seen a lot of my interacting with my team be very different now than it was when I was a younger artist, because I'm so clear on who I am that they don't feel like they're having to navigate my dream. You know? Mm.
0: What attitudes have been best, have been most effective at propelling you upward?
1: I mean, I have had to really do a lot of work to get out of my own way. Like, I'm a very type A personality in terms of, like, I can be condescending. I can be short. Um, I have, like, very little patience. I have zero tolerance for stupidity. And a lot of people are just dumb, you know? So you kind of have to, like, not let that get in the way of your vision. And everybody's also in their own movie. Everybody's doing their own thing. So sometimes, you know, I'm also like a cancer. So I'm just sensitive. I'm just hyper goddamn sensitive. So you have to get out of your own way because like your sensitivity and your ego is like literally infringing upon you getting to where you need to go, you know, and that's like a constant work. Um, Removing rigidity has been very helpful.
0: Removing rigidity? Yeah. What do you mean?
1: Well, we come up with these ideas and we're like, this is the idea. This is it. Yeah. And then we go into another space with it, and we're like, "Look, this is my idea." And then you know, whoever you present it to, like, they have their own ideas about your idea, and it can feel very tempting to be like, "Well, no, that's not the idea. This,
0: well, this yeah. is
1: the idea." Yeah. But sometimes um, it's not that you're compromising. It's that you are. I think people have a negative connotation with bending. You know, like oh, I got to bend. You know, and I got to bend. It's like, well, I was a gymnast. Bending can do wonders.
0: I mean that that is that is for the artist creator. That is, it's a very difficult the critical fork. Yes, and you know, do I say no? I am the genius. I have the But you are idea. and that's the but see I'm gonna
1: stop you there yeah. because that's the power when you realize I am the genius. Yeah. So no matter what they tell me, or no matter which way to bend, you know, I am the master of mind behind this. So I'll know when I'm bending too much. And I'll know just which way to bend. And that's how you have to learn the language of being like, okay, I hear you. Let me filter this through what I know and bring it back to you. And that is like the biggest thing, because the reality is that you're going to need to work with other people to get to bigger platforms, you know, and you're going to need to be amenable in certain ways. And you're going to need to learn how to work in a team. I mean, that's just the facts. And if you think that you are always the only one who can see the vision, it's no fun. Best idea wins every time, every time. But getting that rigidity thing out of the way, yeesh, mm. that was a big thing. Because mm. it's really shown me like, oh, this can develop into ways that you didn't even know. This like, this these ideas. You know, there's... Smart Funny and Black originally was just, you know, a stand-up showcase. You know, and then over the course of time, we've sold it to True TV. We've had offers with other places. We've done it at different venues. Now we have a year-long residency at the Roxy. You know, and I just let myself kind of be on the waves with it. And instead of it being like, no, this is the show. You just start to, you you let yourself, and you always let yourself entertain the idea that it could be better. And that's really what letting rigidity go is. Just always having an open space to know this could be better, mm. which is why like you have to look at your team and decide like, is someone really working in this space anymore or should they be let go? You know, that's why you have to look at your projects and be like, does this really, does this, the, I know this was the way that it needed to be in the beginning, but now that we've reached this point, is this still the best model for this? Mm. You know, and I had to recently go through that with Smart, Funny, and Black. I was trying so hard to sell it to TV. I was trying so hard to sell it to TV. And then I realized, you know, there's a different, there's a different model, there's a different way that that, that I can do this that makes more sense. But it took me, going through that process and being open to the aspect of that was your plan, but you just got presented a better plan.
0: What is the most instructive failure that you've had, the failure that helped you Mm. learn and propel and understand?
1: When I was on MTV2 when I was 22, um, I really, I really... um, I really thought it was like the time, like I'm going to blow up, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, like, what do I need to do? Um, what do I need to be? How do I need to look? All of these things. And that wasn't any of the shit that I needed to be thinking about <laughs> at the time. But that's like what I was being instructed. And by putting my energies in those places, like it just kind of crashed and burned. Like I just kind of, I did a year of MTV too. Like, you know, it it could have stretched longer, but I started becoming like very demanding. Like, you know, I need to have car service to the studio. And like the people were telling me that these are the things that you should ask for. These are the things you should do. And I didn't know any better. So I'm asking. And um, yeah, like, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I need to have that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that crash and burn and going through that depression After that, it was very, very important because it forced me to just have to really work hard like in terms of figuring out what my real purpose was as an artist. And I am so glad because if I had stayed in that space, I may have just been a host. You know, I may have just been Mm. a host. Mm. And there came a time where literally that just like wasn't even serving me anymore. And I had to start. Figuring out, well, how do you show the world that you're more than a host? And I started doing I started doing one woman shows. So I did like Death of the Diva. I got I funded that, you know, with crowdfunding. And then I did It's Complicated. And I did that at a comedy club. And then I did Mo Better Wu, where I took Wu-Tang records and turned them into jazz, (laughs) along with jazz virtuoso Chris Bowers. Um, You laugh.
0: What does eating healthy mean to you? From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the I Radio app or wherever you get your podcasts. You laugh. Not not at it. It's a great idea.
1: I'm gonna send you the YouTube link.
0: I'm laughing you with laugh you. You laugh
1: because you think, because conceptually you're like that's funny, but then you start really laughing when you hear how not funny it is. When you really hear the music, you're like this makes perfect sense, and I just um I just know that back then, like I always say like I'm so glad that this is happening now than when I was younger.
0: Mm. You are making it in Hollywood as a creator and as a but as myself. yeah, 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 but I mean like creating and acting or performing, mm-hmm. creating and performing for other folks who are coming up want to be a creator performer in the Hollywood television movie space, what do they need to know?
1: They need to know that, one, it's still a job, okay? Like, it's great, but not every show is going to be, like, the hit, you know, and not every cast is going to be best friends and not every audition is going to be like the one, you know? And I think that sometimes people have a very fantastical view about this business. And the reality is like, it's still a jab. Like you still have to show up on time. (laughs) Like you still have to give your best. There's still going to be like reviews and there's, there's a, there's a truth that you have to have with yourself about like what you really want from this. Some people really want fame, you know, and there's a route that you go for that. But if you really want longevity and you really want uh, versus fame, you want prestige. I feel like that's a different ride that you have to settle in for. Mm-hmm. You know, you look like someone like Sterling K. Brown, and you're like, he settled in for that ride, boy. You know, and now so Sterling how do you K. Get Brown to is that, on this is us.
0: So how do you get to that road instead of the?
1: I think it really boils down to, one, putting as much work into your craft as you're putting putting as much work into you as you're putting into your craft. And I think a lot of folks forget about the you. They forget about learning about themselves. You know, you need to go to therapy. You need to face your demons. You need to ask yourself these questions. You know, you need to know what you really want out of this and what you're really bringing. Because I think there's also like this aspect of people just think like, I'm an actress. Like, well, everybody actress. What are what makes you special? Because when you go in these rooms, that's really what ends up propelling you. What makes you special? What are you bringing across when you get into this room, when you talk to this casting agent? What makes you different than the 70 other broads that strolled up in here in the same outfit talking about, yeah, I'm the perfect person for this? It's like the nine times out of 10, it's about what makes you special, not just what made you play the role special. And I think people forget that.
0: Therapy has helped you as an artist?
1: Oh my God, <laughs> a million thousand percent, yeah.
0: I, I, I've never gone that road, how?
1: Well, because it forced me to get to a certain clarity of thought with what I'm about as Amanda. And if I'm gonna be speaking to people and having messaging going out there, then I wanna be able to do that from a truly like honest, exploratory place of myself. I think also it just made me a lot more confident in what my strengths were and my weaknesses. And as an artist who's out here where people are picking apart your weaknesses and your strengths every goddamn day, all day, you need to be able to know, well, they could talk what they want, but I know. I know me. So it makes you a lot less shakable. And it made it where like my solidity of self is so much more rounded. I mean, so much more founded in um what i know of me so that i'm not looking for approval when i go into these other spaces in the same way
0: so this is part of what you're talking about that fuels the comedy not asking for yeah all but, of it and, comes and back what, around and, and what chris rock was talking about you're not flappable you're like you didn't laugh at that i'm not shook i know who i am i know i'm funny y'all didn't laugh that's on you let's keep going
1: and it's not to be mistaken with ego right You know, it's not to to be mistaken with an arrogance that says, I know who I am, so I don't got to do nothing to fix that. No. It just says like, oh, I know I'm funny and I just need to work on that joke.
0: I'm funny. That joke is not there yet, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't change who I am in this space. And
1: I know that I have the wherewithal to get it there.
0: What is driving you? Like, professionally to do these millions of projects and to keep getting out there and because there's a lot of rejection in comedy, Ooh. in acting, yes. you've been through a lot of rejection in music. <laughs> oh, I Lord. mean, it's it's been an up and down road. What's driving you?
1: I really, one, I love, um, I love creating, like, I know this is going to sound really cliche, but. Creating is like my vice. I mean, that's, I really, I don't smoke. I don't drink. I don't watch an exorbitant amount of porn. I'm not trying to like get into, you know, like I just, but the one thing that I feel like I can't not do is create. When I'm not creating, I really do fall into a depression. It really is not a good place. I used to, you know, tell my managers when I had one, it was like, make sure that when we're not shooting, I got some shit to do, you know, because I can't. We don't want me to get into that that place of a stasis. And, um, but what's also driving me is that I really do believe that, that change, even if it doesn't happen on a macro level, can happen with individuals in micro spaces. And I feel like as somebody who's been inspired by others, it really is important to me to pay it forward. Mm. And I really believe in art and education as a way to make this life that is so... Confusing and befuddling
0: worthwhile so many comics are depressed,
1: yeah, because like it's most,
0: tiring. seems like most of them are, but y- y- are you? No, I'm not depressed.
1: No, I mean, but I've had a different route. you know i I didn't come to comedy by way of needing to laugh to keep from crying right, and that's where a lot of comics come from you
0: I know? mean uh, I mean, some comics I've heard make life choices that continually put themselves in unhappiness so that the comedy will be...
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a real thing. But that's also like, there's people who are have fear of failure. You know, there's people who really enjoy struggle. I do not like struggle, Toure. Mm. I don't like it. Mm. I don't. I like Gucci. I really do. <laughs> I'm, I will say that. I am new money and I love it. Okay? Are uh, you rich? Than I was before. I'll say that. I mean, what do we consider? What do we constitute as rich? I'll say this: I'm at a point where, like, I can get stuff I couldn't get before, but I'm not at a point where it's like I can have things I never thought I'd get. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Like,
1: we ain't in a PJ yet. We ain't in a private jet.
0: <laughs> that's 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 the ultimate. But
1: that's what you know. What I'm saying so. That's wealth. But I think that um, but it, you know, it just. It just drives me to, to, to see, like, art move people and especially the black community to be a part of a lineage of greatness and be able to add to that is, like, insane to me. It is. It's, like, really wild. And it's something I always, I feel, like, kind of felt deep down with something I could do. And so the fact that I'm getting the opportunity to do that really does drive me every day. Like, you're getting the opportunity to be a part of this uh, illustrious league.
0: Amanda is definitely working her way into the illustrious league of black TV superstars. I would bet she'll have her own TV show on a major network within three years. Mark that down. She had a dream and she made plans to follow it and then followed up on her plans and kept working and you can do that, too. I hope you got a little more fuel for your rise today. Keep climbing. Thanks, Amanda, for your time. And thanks to you for listening. Amanda calls her stand-up TED Talks with Jokes. And if she's going up at a comedy club near you, definitely go. She's hysterical. If you want to talk to me, I'm on Twitter at Tore and on Instagram at Tore Show. Please stop by and say hi. And if you like the show, please subscribe, rate, and review. And tell a friend. Help me spread the word about Torre Show. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Chris Colbert and Matt Forbes with help from Shelby Royston and in association with Cadence 13 Studios. We're beaming to you from the amazing borough of Brooklyn, the baddest place in the world. I hope you got a little more fuel for your fire today. Join us next Wednesday on Torre Show.